Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. explore it then follow the links and see where it takes us um and we do have some articles to check in on with uh the the ongoing wu-tang clan the Wu-Tang project clan, yeah um so the last one was uh action group nigeria that was the older one um and i am not seeing wu-tang clan on here so it's probably finally been found. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. So the other one was Sag King First Nation. And so that one's that more one. <laughs> recent, but arguably more visited at the same time. And also a more visible edit. Considering the fact that it was a large <laughs> banner across the page. And it looks like that one has been removed as well. Which I am actually happy about. <laughs> I would be a little upset if nobody took action on that after the... Uh, I wouldn't have let that stood up for, you know, a couple more, more than a couple minutes. Somebody's yeah. got to save the Sag King Nation. <laughs> so, yep. So we currently have no Wu-Tang Clan tags on Wikipedia. <sighs> So we'll we'll see what happens this episode, but uh, if we are moved to do anything, <laughs> or if we will remain defeated. So, John, what do you have to start us off anyway? Well, I have a man by the name of uh, 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 James Kerrigan. He was a United States representative from the state of New York, born in New York City, went to college in New York City. Uh, volunteer infantry during the Mer- American Mexican War. Uh, he accompanied the Walker uh, filibustering expedition to Nicaragua as a captain and served for a brief period as Alcalade. Alc. Alcalde? Hmm. I don't know what that word is. There's a link to it uh, of the Nicaraguan capital. Oh, okay. He was the elected alderman of the 6th Ward of New York City, served as clerk of the Manhattan Police Court. Upon the outbreak of the American Civil War, he organized and then commissioned, uh, was commissioned colonel of the 25th New York Volunteer Infantry Regiment in the Union Army and served from May 1861 until February 1862. Mm. Uh, But he was accused of harboring Confederate sympathies. (laughs) And of not maintaining good order and discipline among his troops, well, so he okay. was allowed to resign. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's one of those. He gotcha. was a New Yorker who wasn't exactly uh, <laughs> forward-thinking, which uh, in today's world is, you know, that's not a vision too far off of any of our minds, I don't think. Right. any case, uh, yeah. what is uh, what, what do you have? Anything 
uh, uh, a little less Confederate sympathizing? Uh, I think I can safely say, yeah. They would not, that <laughs> your article would not sympathize with the Correct. South. Okay. Um, it's Ostrowek Zdungska Wola County. County? <laughs> County. So. As in, like, like, like an American thing. No, this is a county in Poland. Uh, okay. It is Ostrowek is a village. Oh, th- well, this is okay. This is a village within a county. So Ostrowek is the c- village. Zdunskawala is the county, and there are oh, two hundred and ten residents in this. So village. not not a town with no people, just but a, very very small. Still, yes, it's, uh, yeah, pretty small. But um, probably didn't probably didn't care too much about the Confederacy. I doubt it. <laughs> I, doubt, I doubt they had strong feelings about that. They probably didn't have many strong feelings one way or the other. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yep. So it is located. Fairly central within Poland in general. Um, it's approximately five kilometers east of Zdunskawala. So I guess that is a maybe another, the more principal may, seat, the probably, principal town, probably like the bigger city within the county would make sense. Yeah. Um, yep. So that's about the extent of my article. So. Okay, so... Uh, I think we're going to go to yours. Okay, James um, Kerrigan, K-E-R-R-I-G-A-N. Pretty much just like the StarCraft character, if you are uh, of that fandom. If you are not, then I'm sure there's other Kerrigans, but you would have to make me care again. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, this, this article is a lot smaller than I was expecting. It seems bigger on a phone. I'm using a <laughs> phone today, everybody. I didn't... I didn't bring my laptop because I didn't think to do so. So I'm, I'm, I, but it looks, it looks massive on the phone. <laughs> there's like this whole scroll bar. I figured there was like, I figured I was less than halfway done. Turns out I am exactly about two thirds of the way through <laughs> the entirety of the article uh, by the time I finished reading. So, um, yeah. So you cover a good portion of it. Not necessarily all the meaty He's, bits, uh, though. I mean, he he was elected to Congress after the bit I read. So yeah, um, and it is notable that uh, while serving the House, he was arrested and removed from the floor <laughs> for continuing to speak after his allotted time had expired in opposition to a bill funding the abolition of slavery in Missouri. Also, still apparently- <laughs> Confederate leaning. <laughs> After that, he became an enthusiastic Irish nationalist. That oh Jesus! <laughs> Here we and go. When the invasion of Canada was planned in 1866, he led a company across the border. Here's here's the original alt right guy. He wait, hold on. The invasion of Canada? I don't even remember that, but that's a link right did there. We did we do that? I did we try? I've never heard about this. I don't think we did. I think some. I think yeah. I feel like this was like Confederate people, like during like the end of the bitter, yeah. sad. They tried to take over Canada to make Canada 
with slaves again <laughs> and i yeah i guess i guess they wanted a place for slavery still so they were like ah well canada's up there let's go take that over the invasion of we gotta go there i think that's yeah, that's our i'm thinking that's well check it check, just it. briefly peek over there uh, um five between fi- uh 1866 and 1871 the fenian raids of the fenian brotherhood an irish republic organization based in the united states on British army forts, customs posts, and other targets in Canada were fought to bring pressure on Britain to withdraw from Ireland. So, not quite clear on what the plan here was with invasion of Canada, but That's it looks the- like it's a pretty, like, you know, like a five-year-long thing that was happening, which That's seems odd. strange that... I would have never heard about this, but... It also seems strange that, I guess, Ireland, but also not Ireland, was based out of the U.S. <laughs> and operating out of the U.S., but wasn't the U.S.? <laughs> yeah, it was like Irish-Americans fighting yeah. for Ireland? And know. yet we weren't at war with Britain? Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, we were, uh, this is well past the revolution. Yeah, we were, we were friends again at that point. Like, I, I'm not sure what went down but it certainly wasn't wasn't that okay well let's let's the the point is, is the guy when the, the guy we were talking about before james kerrigan kind of bad dude became an irish nationalist after he was done serving his time in congress he went to alaska got a cold and then died uh so that that's the end of him um these fenian raids though i haven't even heard the word fenian before is that bad I no, I'm not familiar with that word. Like I, I like brotherhood. That's a thing. Yeah, I, I don't like even Celtic know what that culture, is but I've never heard that word. I feel like it's going to be one of those things where it's like, yes, this is obviously another term for the Irish, <laughs> and it's been used like as often as Celtic, and you'll be like, yeah. wait, Celtic, and it's been used as, oh, okay, <laughs> all right. Yes. So I guess we'll start with what the. While the U.S. authorities arrested the men and confiscated their arms, there is speculation that some in the U.S. government, evidently, we just <laughs> talked about a representative who had sympathies and joined this thing, uh, had turned a blind eye to the preparations for the invasion, angered at actions that could have been construed as Canadian assistance to the confederate states of america during the american civil war that seems like a strange side to take for canada i didn't (laughs) yeah i wasn't expecting that (laughs) so so the united states just kind of let these people do this because they canada sponsored the confederacy which is weird because it seems like the irish nationalists were kind of pro-confederacy yeah so did they even understand what they were doing? Because <laughs> it doesn't seem like what they were doing was benefiting what they were trying to make. Whatever. Anyway, let's read into this, see if we can't. Well, we got five different raids here. Okay. All of them ended in failure. Well, this is the only five of note. You so mean... apparently there were more than this that happened. You mean a ragtag band of Irish people that <laughs> nobody really like acknowledges as even being Irish people? <laughs> are uh, unable to conquer the entire like British army? The covert ops of the... That's just the story of Irish 1860s. history, isn't it? Yeah. Or not covert ops, like idiot ops. <laughs> like, who's... Why are you doing this? <laughs> this is like the 
Larry the Cable Guy movie covert ops. Yeah, yeah, like not like the actual like like super like Tom Clancy. Like you're right. Yeah, like we're talking blue collar comedy <laughs> tour trying to go stealth. And no offense to the I'm I'm part Irish myself. It's not, and I mean like half. So I'm not like kidding around about that. But I am most certainly bemused at the prospect of this. This is it's, it's pretty it's pretty interesting. So led by John O'Mahony, uh, O'Mahony, this, because it has. I, to, I mean, well, yeah. Like, what are you expecting? Like Smith? <laughs> like, come on. Um, the Fenian raid occurred in April 1866 at Campobello Island, New Brunswick. A Fenian Brotherhood war party of over 700 members arrived at the main shore opposite the island intending to seize Campobello from the British. Well, 700 members. That seems like a lot for this time period. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know what the U.S. population was at the time. I guess that's easy enough to look up. Yeah, might as well just check that out. I just want to see like what percentage of the U.S. was involved in this kind of thing. About 31 million population in 1860, so... Okay, so uh, even relative, it's it's, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not entirely embarrassing. (laughs) I mean, it's a decent amount of people for this kind of a thing. Being this specific and this kind of driven and this sort of removed from... An official government mandate. Right. It's a, it's a little low for a full-out military thing, but it's... Also see, not a full-out military thing. Yeah, the thing. it seems pretty high for just a brotherhood of nobody's getting together and, you know... Yeah, yeah. Storming Canada beaches. So, on April 17th of 1866... I'm guessing this is uh, British commander uh, uh, Hastings Doyle uh, left Halifax with Royal Navy warships carrying 700. Wow, even fight. Yeah. Uh, And proceeded to pass um, Makati Bay, where the Fenian force was concentrated. The show of British might this show of British might discouraged the Fenians? I think maybe the might is supposed to be like a strength might, not a perhaps <laughs> like, might. Perhaps it scared them. <laughs> In any event, they dispersed. Uh, the invasion reinforced the idea of protection for New Brunswick by joining with British North American colonies in Nova Scotia and the United Providence of Canada, formerly Upper Canada, now Ontario, and Lower Canada, which is also now named Quebec instead, to form the Dominion of Canada. Oh, I never heard it that way before. Nope, but it's kind of cool. Yeah. You don't see too many Dominion countries anymore. <laughs> After the Campobello raid, the presidential faction led by Fenian founders James Stevens and, of course, John O'Mahony back again, focused more on fundraising for rebels in Ireland. 
The more militant Senate faction, led by William R. Roberts, believes that even a marginally successful invasion of the province of Canada or other parts of British North America would provide them with leverage in their efforts. After the failure of the April attempt to raid New Brunswick, which had been blessed by O'Mahony, the Senate faction implemented their own plan for invading Canada. Drafted by the Senate Secretary for War, General T.W. Sweeney, a distinguished former Soviet Union Soviet Union, whoa, no, no, just regular Union, Union (laughs) Army officer. The plan called for multiple invasions at points in Canada West, now southern Ontario, and Canada East, now southern Quebec, intended to cut Canada West off from Canada East and possible British reinforcements from there. Key to the plan was a diversionary attack at Fort Erie from Buffalo, New York, which meant to draw troops away from Toronto in a feigned strike at the nearby Welland Canal System. This would be the only Fenian attack other than the Quebec raid several days later that would be launched in June 1866. Approximately 1,000 to 1,300 Fenians this time crossed the Niagara River in the first 14 hours of June the 1st under Colonel John O'Neill. Sabotaged by Fenians in its crew, the U.S. Navy's side-wheel gunboat USS Michigan did not begin intercepting Fenian reinforcements until 2.15 p.m., 14 hours after Owen Starr's advance party had crossed the river ahead of O'Neill's main force. Once the USS Michigan was deployed, O'Neill's force in the Niagara region was cut off from further supplies and reinforcements. So... After assembling with other units from the province and traveling all night, the Canadians advanced into a well-laid ambush, the Battle of Ridgeway, by approximately 600 to 700 Fenians the next morning north of Ridgeway, a small hamlet west of Fort Erie. The Fenian strength at Ridgeway had been reduced by desertions and deployments of Fenians in other locations in the area overnight. The Canadian militia consisted in exp- of exp- inexperienced volunteers with no more than basic drill training, but armed with unfield rifled muskets equal to the armaments of the Fenians. A single company of the Queen's Own Rifles of Toronto had been armed the day before on their ferry crossing from Toronto with state-of-the-art seven-shot Spencer repeating rifles, but had not had an opportunity to practice with them and were only issued 28 rounds per man. So, good luck, boys. Mm. The Fenians were mostly battle-hardened American Civil War veterans, armed with weapons procured from leftover war supplies, either unfield, rifled muskets, or comparable Springfields. The opposing forces exchanged volleys for about two hours before a series of command errors threw the Canadians into confusion. The Fenians took advantage of it by launching a bayonet charge that broke the inexperienced Canadian ranks. Seven Canadians were killed on the battlefield, two died shortly thereafter from wounds, and four would later die of wounds or disease while in service. Ninety-four more were wounded or disabled by disease. Two Fenians were killed and 16 were wounded. So I thought pretty... they were supposed to lose these battles. I thought that I thought I thought I thought that was the case too. I think they actually successfully invaded Canada here. I mean Canada, not Canada. My bad. Should be Canada. It should it's be much catchier. Yeah, it's got a better ring to it. It really does. Just brings it up on the last syllable there. Mm-hmm. Just kind of like hoists the whole whole concept forward. Yeah, um, instead of going on a down note, you come in and up. You end on an up note. Canada. You know? 
Canada. Like you, you, yeah. you stay down if you're just Canada. Yeah. Any case, after the battle, the Canadians retreated to Port Colborne. Well, I suppose then they would be Canadians. Canadians. They'd be Canadians. 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 <laughs> like Indianians. Indianans. Indianans. Indianers. Hoosiers. <laughs> they'd <laughs> Maybe be they'd Hoosiers. Canadiers. Canadiers. Yeah. <laughs> Canadier. So after the battle, the Canadians retreated to Port Colborne at the Lake Erie end of the Welland Canal. The Fenians rested briefly at Ridgeway before returning to Fort Erie. Another encounter followed that saw several Canadians severely wounded and the surrender of a larger group of a local Canadian militia who had moved into the Fenian rear. Never want to move into a Fenian <laughs> rear. Nope, bad idea. After considering the inability of reinforcements to cross the river and the approach of large numbers of both militia and British regulars, the remaining Fenians released the Canadian prisoners and returned to Buffalo early in the morning of June the 3rd. They were intercepted by the gunboat Michigan and surrendered to the American Navy. Huh. Wait, the, the Canadian? Oh, no, the Fenians. Were... The Fenians released the Canadian prisoners and returned to Buffalo the following morning, and then the Fenians were intercepted and had okay. to surrender by way of force because the American Navy said, oh. stop this. <laughs> what are you doing? Go home. Until recently, it was alleged that the turning point in this battle was when the Fenian cavalry erroneously reported and the Canadian militia ordered to form square the standard tactic for infantry to repeal cavalry. When the mistake was recognized, an attempt was made to form in column, being too close to to the Fenian lines, but it failed. In his recent new history of Ridgeway, however, historian Peter Vronsky argues the explanation was not as simple as that. Prior to the formation of the square, confusion had already broke out when a unit of the Queen's own rifles mistook three arriving companies of Redcoat Hamilton 13th Battalion for British troops. When the Queen's own rifles began retiring to give the field to what they thought were British (laughs) units, the 13th Battalion mistook this for a retreat and began withdrawing themselves. (laughs) At this moment that the infamous Form Square order was given, completing the debacle that was unfolding on the field. Wow. That's pretty good. Yep. This whole thing is actually ridiculously interesting. Like, <laughs> like how this is just kind of like happening a couple years after the Civil War. Not much is going on, but weird, like yeah. de facto fractions of American populace are just kind of invading Canada because they can. Yeah, duh. <laughs> I I could almost see this as like a Peter Sellers movie, like back in the seventies or something. Right? Like, it doesn't seem like... It just so seems like it makes no sense. But, uh... So, five years after the start of this specific invasion, President Andrew Johnson proclaimed, issued a proclamation requiring enforcement of the neutrality laws, guaranteeing the Fenian invasion could not continue. But, uh... As we know, that doesn't happen. It, it does, does continue. continue. <laughs> there, there's still more. Uh, so... Ulysses S. Grant and George Meade went to Buffalo, New York to inspect the situation. Following instructions from Grant, Meade issued strict orders to prevent anyone from violating the border. Grant then proceeded to St. Louis. Meade, finding that the battles were over and the Fenian army 
interned in Buffalo, went to Ogdensburg, New York, to oversee the situation in the St. Lawrence River area. The U.S. Army was then instructed to seize all Fenian weapons and ammunition and prevent more border crossings. Further instructions on 7th of June, 1866, were to arrest anyone who appeared to be a Fenian. That was a rough time. <laughs> yeah, anytime you have to uh, in, uh, arrest people that could possibly be this one thing, that's, you know, iffy territory there. Well, I mean, that's... I mean, I guess they had to have, like, their own garb. Like, they had to have something to set them apart from the average Joe, right? Yeah. Traditional Irish stuff? I don't know. Maybe the lines were a little more clean cut back then before all of the white cultures just kind of became, like, like, one big melting pot. Maybe it's like, hey, why are you wearing a Confederate uniform? The war's over. You're probably a Fenian. (laughs) Probably a Fenian, because you still think you should go out and invade somewhere. Yeah. You don't know where, but you're Uh, choosing Canada. (laughs) So, ironically, through all this, they did nothing to advance the cause of Irish independence, but the 1866 Fenian raids and the inept efforts of the Canadian militia to repulse them helped to galvanize support for the Confederation of Canada in 1867. Uh, So some historians have argued that the affair tipped the final votes of reluctant maritime provinces in favor of the collective security of nationhood making Ridgeway the battle that made Canada. <laughs> That's surprising. Yep. <laughs> this weird event here. just This weird somehow... skirmish of like a couple hundred guys <laughs> standing in a field. One of them actually a country. The other one of them just some dudes. <laughs> <laughs> just some guys from a place who did a thing one time. <laughs> But uh, then we get the Pigeon Hill Raid, which is later this year still. This is three raids in one year. Before they rest. Yeah. Uh, So after the invasion of Canada West failed, the Fenians decided to concentrate their efforts on Canada East. However, the American government had begun to impede their activities and rested many Fenian leaders. The Fenians soon saw their plans begin to fade. General Samuel Spear of the Fenians managed to escape arrest, and on June 7th, Spear and his 1,000 men marched into Canada, Canadian territory, achieving occupancy of Pigeon Hill, Freely, Freli, Freelisburg, yeah. St. Armand, and Stanbridge. <laughs> At this point, the Canadian government had done little to defend the border, but on June 8th, Canadian forces arrived at Pigeon Hill and the Fenians, who were low on arms, ammunition, and supplies, promptly surrendered, <laughs> ending the raid of Canada East. Well, there you go. That'll do yeah, it. They, they go in, they take it, seems pretty easy, and then uh, the next day, uh, more Canadians come down, they're like, ah, crap, we wasted all the ammunition. <laughs> <laughs> now what are we supposed to do? We didn't think there was going to be more of them. All right, well, we'll go home. That's about it. <laughs> Now, there should be another heading here, actually. The Battle of Trout River was a military conflict that occurred on the 27th of May, 1870. So we just jumped oh. four years, and there's no there's something to break <laughs> it up from the thing that happened in 1866. It's weird. Um, now, it was a part of the Fenian raids, although apparently the poorest sighted of them. Well, uh, there's an even poorer one. Is, is there? 
There's there is one in between, but it's just one sentence. The uh, Missisquoi County raid. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I, also I see what occurred you're 1870, um, and the Canadians, acting on information supplied by Thomas Billis Beach, were able to wait for and turn back the attack. That's it. They have for that one. But, so, <laughs> so this one's this one's almost as bad. That these recurring... are of note. Keep keep in mind. Yeah, <laughs> these are the uh, raids of note. But uh, I mean, these are like that's all they have on that one. This is a grand total of twelve hundred dudes <laughs> split up amongst the entirety of Canada, <laughs> trying to conquer it. <laughs> Let's think about how They're ridiculous that is. Yeah, yeah, like that's pretty much ultimately <laughs> is what happened eventually from like the British and the right. things. There was like nobody up there for a number of years, mm-hmm. and then eventually it became Canada, I guess. Uh, uh so they uh. Fenian John O'Neill, after the failed 1870 Fenian invasion, had resigned the Senate wing, then joined, oh, the Savage Wing. Ah. In return, he was given a seat on the Savage Wing Governing Council. In 1871, O'Neill and an odd character <laughs> named W.B. Adonahue, want to be Adonahue? Uh, asked the Savage Wing Council to undertake another invasion of Canada across the Dakota Territory border. Just the fact that he's an odd character. <laughs> that makes see, me... <laughs> now, this is one that I would like to see in movie form. W.B. O'Donoghue. Specifically a uh, Coen Brothers movie. Well, there's an article about W.B. O'Donoghue, so we can go find out why he's an odd <laughs> character if we want to. I think William B. O'Donoghue and W.B. O'Donoghue are the same person, right? Because D- William it's B. O'Donoghue is in the next par- yeah. paragraph here. So the council, weary of Canadian adventures in general, and O'Neill in particular, would have none of it. Uh, O'Neill's idea was turned down, but the council promised to loan him arms and agreed they would not publicly denounce him and his raid. (laughs) So O'Neill resigned from the Fenians to lead the invasion, which was planned in St. Paul, Minnesota, to invade manitoba near winnipeg about 35 men oh this is just sad now led by john (laughs) o'neill william b o'donohue and john j donnelly hope to join forces with lewis reels french indian metis hey 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 must be the metis (laughs) on october 5th uh o'neill's force manages to capture a Hudson's Bay Company post? Wait, really? They're only dealing with 35 guys and now you're actually capturing stuff? <laughs> and a Canadian customs house, which they believe to be just north of the international border. You better hope. <laughs> uh, as the U.S. survey team had determined the border was two miles further north, placing the Hudson's Bay post and the customs house both inside <laughs> U.S. territory, which maybe why they did it so easily. O'Neill, J.J. Donnelly, and 10 others were taken prisoner near Pembina, Dakota Territory. The Great Pembina. By U.S. soldiers led by Captain Lloyd Wheaton. The farcical raid was doomed from the very start. You know it's pretty funny whenever a factual article <laughs> uses the word farcical with regard to your raid. And odd character. This is this is a good movie. This is good this, movie stuff right here. Yeah, it actually took place inside the United States, and the Metis under Real signed a pact with the British just as the invasion began. 
Rio and his Metis captured O'Donohue and gave him to U.S. authorities. In a somewhat muddled federal response, O'Neill was arrested twice, once in Dakota and once in Minnesota, but was released and never charged for, quote-unquote, invading U.S. territory. Hmm. The men captured with him were released by the court as simply dupes of O'Neill and Donnelly. <laughs> Canadian General Service Medal, uh, 1866-1870, showing bars for the Fenian raids of 1866 and 1870. The uh, Fenian Brotherhood organized openly in the Pacific Northwest states during the 1870s and 80s, agitating to invade British Columbia, although no raids were ever launched. Tensions were sufficient that Britain sent several large warships to the new railhead at Vancouver in British Columbia for the celebrations opening the Canadian Pacific Railway. Man, so they don't really have much information for those missing four years. Must have kept quiet. I mean, I guess. But they must have lost like a lot of steam. Yeah. By the time we see them do anything again, it's 35 guys. <laughs> They were a thousand strong before. What was going on? And we got to see who this William B. O'Donohue, an odd character, is. <laughs> oh, there's not an article with this exact name. Uh, well, at the very least, we could go to the Brotherhood. The Fenian? Yeah. Yeah, let's go read about these idiots. But yeah, I, I would love to see a Coen brother take on this, like... It's perfect. It's in the Northwest. Oh, yeah. It's it's right in, in their upper alley. Yep. It's just a bunch of screwballs. And, and there's a couple <laughs> of military blunders for them to portray, yep. too, where they basically... I guess the Irish just, like, basically run off thinking they're victorious <laughs> when it's really, like, they see reinforcements, so they just, like, remove all their men. That'd be great. Oh, man. And you could, like, set up the whole movie as, like, this whole like plan yeah you know like almost uh, an ocean's 11 kind of thing where you know you have the whole it's setup not, it's not a ocean's 11 kind of thing it's a burn after reading kind of there thing. there you go <laughs> <laughs> so Absolutely. what do we learn yep <laughs> and then like yeah the whole thing like last act is like a battle and everything they get in there and then they realize that oh wait we're still in the US. They, they've been in the u.s <laughs> the entire time and that's and then they just the get US arrested by the u.s up there like what are they doing I don't know. I don't know what they think they're doing. So the the funny thing is is that people apparently were saying per the article here that there they the US was turning a blind eye. I don't know if we were. <laughs> I just think that they didn't get out of the country that much, really, yeah. is what it came down to. They were trying to take over the first half mile of Canada. And they weren't successful in the first place, no. really. They weren't. So, like, what were we turning a blind eye like, to? Yeah, it's like... Two events over four we, years? By the time we get there, they're already failed, and on their way back, it's like, oh, okay. Well. All right, well, I guess we didn't really need to go. That's That was unnecessary. Now, well, let's see why this happened. Yeah, who are these brotherhoods, and what do they do? A, the Fenian Brotherhood, which in Irish is the... Or, I should say, Brathrichus na Benfini was an Irish Republican organization founded in the United States in 1858 oh, by none other than ah, John O'Mahony and Michael Doheny. <laughs> it was so a... It, this was founded in the United States. So. Apparently, hmm. and not too much before when we saw it, but it was also before the Civil War, so that's kind mm. of 
interesting. It was still technically part of the antebellum period. So what exactly, what years were the Civil War? I'm pretty sure 1861 to 1865. Okay, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, I figured 1860s sounds like the right time. It's early to mid-1860s and not too much leeway on either side of that. So basically they were around before the Civil War and then they were probably Confederate sided on the Civil in War. In the Civil War. And then after the Civil War they were like, well, we lost that, let's try this other thing. We're still technically Irish, so instead of being Confederates, we'll just go back to being Irish <laughs> and then pretend we're not losers that way <laughs> until we lose some more. Uh, I guess that's what their plan was. So it's a precursor to Clan Na Gael, a sister organization to the <laughs> Irish Republican Brotherhood. For the band, see Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There's where we should go. Members were... Oh, man, that would probably make those people really upset. If they were on the Confederate side of things, they, they probably would not take kindly to us putting uh, a oh, Wu-Tang. Oh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> That would be another fix for German Joe. <laughs> German Joe would not have any of that. German Joe would not approve. <laughs> um, members were commonly known as Fenians. O'Mahony, who was a Gaelic scholar, named his organization after the Fianna, the legendary band of Irish warriors led by Fionn MacCumhale. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> Bad that's last name. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's spelled exactly the way you think it is, folks. I apologize. That kind of snuck up on me. This there. is a family podcast, Wikipedia. What are you doing? To I us? don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what are you doing, history? What kind of a name is Flan or Fion? By the Fionn. way, or it's probably not even pronounced that. It, it's it's probably like uh, Rafines or something like that. His it's probably like yeah, it's probably just Fon or like, like Finn. Finn. It's yeah. probably like Finn. Oh, so there's a heading called Contents, and then background. That's, no, that's the uh, table of contents. Oh yes, yes it is. I'm sorry, I, I, I was <laughs> viewing it on a weird weird <laughs> formatting thing, so it all looks the same. Uh, it's all the same heading. Just like it was a section of the article to me. Okay, so the Fenian Brotherhood traced their origins back to 1798, and the United Irishmen, who had been an open political organization only to be suppressed and become a secret revolutionary organization, rose in rebellion, seeking an end to British rule in Ireland and the establishment of an Irish republic. The rebellion was suppressed, surprise, surprise, (laughs) but the principles of the United Irishmen were to have a powerful influence on the course of Irish history. Following the collapse of the rebellion, the British Prime Minister William Pitt introduced isn't that Brad Pitt's brother, uh, Bill Pitt. Yeah, isn't, I'm pretty sure. Isn't or wasn't it, was that like the movie they were going to make about there being a brother of Brad Pitt who doesn't actually have a brother or something? I remember reading about that. Like the Coen brothers were going to oh, do it. His brother is Michael Pitt. Okay, so William Pitt or Doug Pitt. He also has a brother called Doug Pitt. Lots of Pitts. Yeah. But this is Bill Pitt. Yeah, Bill Pitt. All right. Not Brad Pitt. Bill Pitt. <laughs> uh, introduced a bill to abolish the Irish Parliament and manufactured a union between Ireland and Britain. 
opposition from the Protestant oligarchy that controlled the parliament was countered by the widespread and open use of bribery. Hmm. The Act of Union was passed and became law on the 1st of January in 1801. The Catholics, who had been excluded from the Irish parliament, were promised emancipation under the Union. This emancipation? Prom- I... What? <laughs> were they enslaved? for what? <laughs> for, for practicing their religion? <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, in, in in American culture, that has a much more severe connotation. <laughs> <laughs> Although maybe not. Maybe this maybe things got that bad for a while between yeah, the British and the Irish. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, this promise was never kept and caused a protracted and bitter struggle for civil liberties. It was not until 1829 that the British government reluctantly conceded Catholic emancipation. Hmm. I'm ge- it's got to be something to do with the Church of England. If it's specifically about Catholics, not necessarily about the Irish, it's got to right. be something about that. Uh, though leading to general emancipation, this process simultaneously disenfranchised the small tenants known as 40-shilling freeholders, <laughs> who were mainly Catholics. Daniel O'Connell, who had led the emancipation campaign, then attempted to the same methods in his campaign to, to have the Act of Union with Britain repealed. Despite the use of petitions and public meetings that attracted vast popular support, the government thought the Union was more important than Irish public opinion. In the early 1840s, the younger members of the repeal movement became impatient with O'Connell's overcautious policies and began to question his intentions. Later, they were what became to known <laughs> as the Young Ireland Movement. During the famine, the social class comprising small farmers and laborers were almost wiped out by starvation, disease, and emigration. That was the Great Famine of 1840s. Uh, causing the death of one million Irish people and over a million more emigrated just to get out from under it. That the people starved while livestock and grain continued to be exported, quite often under military escort, Hmm. would leave a legacy of bitterness and resentment among the survivors. The waves of emigration because of the famine in the years that followed also ensured that such feelings would not be confined to Ireland, but spread to England, the United States, Australia, and every country where Irish emigrants gathered, shocked by the scenes of starvation and greatly influenced by the revolutions then sweeping Europe, the young Irelanders moved from agitation to armed rebellion in 1848. Hmm. The attempted rebellion failed after a small skirmish in Balingary County Tipperary, coupled with a few minor incidents elsewhere. The reason for failure was obvious. Citation needed. The people <laughs> were totally despondent after three years of famine and being prompted to rise up early resulted in an ad- inadequacy of military preparations which caused disunity among leaders. The government quickly rounded up many of the instigators, those who could flood across seas, and their followers dispersed. Uh, a last flicker of revolt in 1849, led by, among others, John Finton Lalore, was equally unsuccessful. John Mitchell, the most committed advocate of res- revolution, had been arrested by early 1848 and transported to Australia on the purposefully created charge of treason and felony. Hmm. He was to be joined by other leaders, such as William Smith O'Brien and Thomas Francis Meager. 
who had both been arrested after the uh, uprising escaped to France, as did three of the younger members, James Stevens, John O. Mahoney, <laughs> and our boy Michael Doheny. Well, um, after that, the after the collapse of the 48 Rebellion, James Stevens and John O'Mahony went to the continent to avoid arrest. I'm assuming the continent they're talking about is Europe, like from Ireland to Europe, or are they talking about America? I'm pretty sure they're talking about... Uh, like, like the non-island part of Europe. Right. Okay. So in Paris, they supported themselves by teaching and translation work and planned the next stage of the fight to overthrow British rule in Ireland. And in 1856, O'Mahony went to America and founded the Fenian Brotherhood in 1858. And then Stevens returned to Ireland and in Dublin on St. Patrick's Day, 1858, following an organization tour or an organizing tour through the length and breadth of the country, founded the Irish counterpart of the American Fenians, the Irish Republican Brotherhood. And then in 1863, the Brotherhood adopted a constitution and rules for general government. The First National Congress was organized in Chicago in November 1863. It allowed the organization to be reconstituted on the model of the institutions of the Republic, governing itself on elective principle. Motions were passed to elect a head center with a central council of five elected members in 1863. This was extended to a council of ten members at the second congress in Philadelphia, Missouri. What? There's a Philadelphia, Missouri. I, in, there's a Philadelphia <laughs> in most states. Kind of like there's a Washington in most states, except uh, for, oddly enough, Washington. Ah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> because Washington, Washington would be too much Washington. I suppose. Yeah. Gotta watch how much Washington you're washing. You gotta be watching, son, <laughs> how much Washington you're putting into washing. Can't be washing a ton of Washington. In Washington. <laughs> uh, I was trying to think of how many ways. We yeah, can. I don't know. It's losing traction, though. Losing traction, yeah. quick. So, Philadelphia, Missouri, in January 1865, also with a president to be elected by the council this established a more distinctive republican style of governance with the central council or senate and a chief of the senate as well as a presidential role with limited powers o'mahony was made president subsequently this created a divided camp as the senate had powers to outvote mahony on future decisions so basically they were like all right let's move to america all right, let's set up our own government within America <laughs> and govern ourselves somehow. I guess at that time it was still kind of rough terrain over here. This, But 1863, that would have been in the middle of the war. Why are they trying to... I guess maybe they were expecting it to like the whole thing to divide and... You know, I'm guessing they were maybe just like, well, the whole country's going to be split anyway. Why don't we make our own thing? And, and you know, while that's all happening, I mean, that was a pretty I mean, that, that, that makes the most sense that any of this has. Uh, then again, maybe we're uh, giving them too much credit. <laughs> uh, <based on laughs> quite well, we've already read about them. Um, 
so yeah, then we get into the raids on Canada that we've gone through already. Um, see if there's any uh, link to that William William W B O'Donohue. O'Donohue. I'm not saying it because I've seen him. Oh. I feel like this section of the article is more thorough on the actual thing than <laughs> the article on the actual thing is. Oh, this yeah. It's a weird. Be. And an odd <laughs> character is not mentioned in this at all. Mm. Well, yeah, we. Uh, yeah, so there is some information about what happened between. 1867 and 1870, uh, or 1866, I guess. Um, the Fenian threat prompted calls for Canadian Confederation. Confederation had been in the works for years, but was only implemented in 1867. The following year, or the year following the raids. Uh, in 1868, a Fenian sympathizer assassinated Irish-Canadian po- politician Thomas Darcy McGee in Ottawa for his condemnation of the raids. Oh, wow. And fear of Fenian attack plagued the lower mainland of British Columbia during the 1880s. So this is like 10 years after the last raid, and they're still, like, worried about this stuff, even though... It's not not (laughs) happening. It's done. And... They were hardly successful in the first... I mean, they, they didn't they, do anything. They failed in they the They didn't even place. get over the border after the, <laughs> the first couple of times. The last time they did it, they weren't. They didn't even cross into Canada. They were still Didn't in, even count. So really, the US. last raid into Canada was in 1866. The <laughs> only year when there were any raids anywhere <laughs> outside of the United States. <laughs> Whoa. In 1881... The submarine Fenian Ram, designed by John Philip Holland for use against the British, was launched by the Delamater Iron Company in New York. I didn't know there were submarines in 1881. That's news to me. They were more like the ironclad thing. You know, that, the the Civil War was the first first war where they, they actually like happened though. Like that was the first war where they made iron ships, mm. and there weren't there weren't many of them, but they were kind of like mostly underwater, but not like you could see the top of them still. Like they couldn't completely yeah. submerge yet. They were getting there. But. So it was like a boat that had taken on too much water, yeah. but it wasn't sinking. It was deliberately underwater that much. Yeah. Hmm. They were weird looking little things. Should look it up sometime. The the. I forget what it's called. There is a battle during the Civil War between the North made a submarine and the South made a submarine. They they put them in a pool. <laughs> they fought them. It was pretty interesting. Hmm. You you wouldn't have thought that early on there were submarines. Like that seems like a pretty new thing. But once again, <laughs> history is surprising. So okay, that's about all there is to see in the article about the Fenian Brotherhood. Should we go on to their precursor or their successor? We have both the. Irish Republican, uh, the U- the IRA, of course. Hmm. We also have the uh, uh, what the Clan Nagel or whatever it is. Oh uh, yeah, the Clan Nagel. Um, I feel like we should go to the Clan Nagel. Yeah, just go forward with this and, from here. Uh, and then uh, perhaps we can add in a little. Uh, 
supplementary information to this article. Yeah, yeah, that would be... Referring to other clans that might be out there. Other clans, you know. It was a precursor to... Maybe we should phrase it as, for other clans, see... (laughs) (laughs) For other clans, see (laughs) Wu-Tang. Or we could put it at the top, yeah, for... This this redirects to Clan Nagel. For the Wu-Tang Clan... (laughs) Please see this article. <laughs> Finally, a real clan to actually like Yeah. Do this is something that this is something we were trying to have happen the first time. Right. Back right. when it was just blue P. <laughs> Alright, so Clan Nagale. Alright, so uh, I'm gonna uh, log out and then I'm gonna start uh start the stuff <laughs> while you Go Get on. us rolling. All right. So it was a, of course, Irish Republican organization in the U.S. from the late 1800s into the 1900s, successor to the Fenian Brotherhood, sister organization of the IRB. It has still uh, some existence, but it's shrunk down to a real small portion of its former size now that we're in the 2000s. Um. So I'm gonna kind of skip the background part because I feel like we've we've hit that pretty hard. Let's just jump right to the creation of Clan Nagael. After 1867, uh, the Irish Republican Brotherhood headquarters in Manchester chose to support neither of the existing feuding factions, but instead promoted a renewed Irish Republican organization to be in America named Clan Nagael. So this is the official new Irish organization. This is not one created by a bunch of angry former rebels. This is one sanctioned by the big boy mm. Irish revolutionary organization to go over, unite everybody, and hopefully forge forward. Um, according to John Devoy, in 1924, Jerome's, Jerome James Collins founded what, he, what was then called the Napper Tandy Club, in New York in 1867, Wolf Tone's birthday. Who's Wolf Tone? Wolf Tone? Wolf Tone. His <laughs> name's Wolf Tone. That's a pretty good name. That's a great name. But they, they, they just say it's Wolf Tone's birthday. Was he like a <laughs> Irish thing? He's not mentioned in the article before. That Whatever. Huh. Point is, <laughs> it's on Wolf Tone's birthday. Happy birthday, Wolf Tone. This club expanded into others, and at one point at a picnic in 1870 was named the Clan Nagail by Sam Cavanaugh. Isn't that the guy who plays Ed on the show Ed? Or, you know, the evil dude on the show The Flash? Sam Cavanaugh? Yeah. Or is it Bill Cavanaugh? Um, Looks like there is a... Kavanaugh somewhere. Let me see. Here, let me uh, search IMDb. Kavanaugh. Yeah. C-A-V-A-N-A-G-H. Okay, there's a Patrick Kavanaugh, Michael Kavanaugh, um, Tom Kavanaugh, and uh, Sam Kavanaugh is the one. Okay, there's no Sam. There's literally every other name but Sam. But Sam. (laughs) It's just not Sam. Oh, wait. Well, 
It's probably the other guy I'm thinking of. There, I know his last name's Cam. Okay, there is one Sam, but he's only ever been in one thing, and it's not any of those things. So ah man, yeah. Can I have a Kavanaugh? <laughs> this was the same Kavanaugh who killed the former informer George Clark, who Ooh. had exposed a Fenian pike making operation to in Dublin to the police. Uh. Collins, who died in 1881 on the disastrous Jeanette expedition to the North Pole, was a science editor of the New York Herald who had left England in 1866 when a plot he was involved in to free the Fenian prisoners at Pentonville Prison was uncovered by the police. Collins believed at the time of the founding in 1867 that the two feuding Fenian branches should patch things up. So, after arriving in 1871, John DeVoy indicated he joined the Clan Nagael early on and attempted several times at Clan conventions to get the Clan to adopt a plan to free the military prisoners held by the British in Fremantle, Australia. In 1874, John DeVoy, with some oratorical help from Thomas Francis Burke, was elected chairman of the executive board of the Klan and was also chosen to execute the rescue of the prisoners. Burke warned Devoy that there would be kickers and he would have to have a heavy hand to control the Klan Nagale and succeed in the project. John Devoy devoted all this time, all his time, to this project and oversaw the purchase of the bark Catalpa and the outfitting of this ship as a whaler. The clan engaged in American Captain George S. Anthony and its captain with New Bedford whaling crew. John received considerable help in running the clan from Dr. William Carroll, who was elected executive board chairman in 1875, and between them they controlled clan activity until 1882. Carroll was of Ulster Protestant stock and bought in others from the clan from the upper middle class, such as Simon Barclay Conover, senator from Florida. DeVoy's nemesis during the fundraising for the Enterprise was John Goff, an aspiring clan member who later became a New York Supreme Court judge and who perhaps resented the influence of Burke and DeVoy in the clan. DeVoy did, in fact, take a strong hand and began tossing out clan members for malfeasance in office and violation of clan rules, as in sh- as is shown in General Circular Number 2, dated the 15th of January, 1875. If you want to look that up. Uh, the success of the rescue in 1876 resulted in the Clan Nagale replacing, for all practical purposes, the Fenian Brotherhood as the spokesman of Irish-American nationalism. Under the leadership of John DeVoy, Clan Nagale would eventually be successful in educating Americans about the movement. In 1879, DeVoy promoted a new departure in Irish Republican thinking by which the Physical Force Party allied itself with the Irish Parliamentary Party under the political leadership of Charles Stuart Parnell, MP. The political plans of the Fenians were thus combined with the Agrarian Revolution inaugurated by the Irish National Land League. The arrangement was cemented at the first Irish race convention held in Chicago in 1881. By 1880, more aggressive men with the Clan Nagale were cha- within the Clan Nagale 
were chafing at the slow pace of Devoy and Carroll, and these men were able to take control of the organization in 1882 when two action men, uh. Alexander Sullivan and Michael Boland, took over the reins and ran the clan as a dictatorship along oh. with an inactive Mr. Feely. <laughs> <laughs> The new leadership ignored the revolutionary council set up by Carroll to coordinate between the IRB and the Klan and began to operate in total secrecy from even the membership of the Klan. These three men called themselves the Triangle, because they were creative, (laughs) and began making bombing runs into England in what was called the Dynamite War. Oh my god. This infuriated the IRB in Ireland, which which cut ties with the Irish Americans. Michael Boland was later pointed out as a British spy, which might have explained why the majority of the bombers were caught and jailed before they could strike. Mm. The 1880s saw the solidification, at least within America, of Irish ideological orientations, with most nationalist sentiment finding its home within Clan Nagale, rather than secretarian anti-Protestant organizations such as the Ancient Order of the Hiberians. The most, the more agrarian-minded found their ideological brethren within the Irish Federation of America. The third ideological strand was connected to the Union and Socialist movement and found support with the Knights of Labor. In the late 1880s, a financial scandal in the Chicago branch of the Klan led to a successful conspiracy to murder whistleblower Dr. Patrick Henry mm. Cronin. John DeVoy, who worked with Cronin, also began carrying a gun and expected to be assassinated by Alexander Sullivan's henchmen. The Cronin case, prosecuted by state's attorney Joel Menick Longenecker, achieved international attention. Neither the prosecution or the defense were concerned with the Klan's ties to the Fenians trying the case simply as a conspiracy to commit murder. The Clan Nagale had split into pro- and anti-Sullivan slash Bolin branches, but was reunited by John DeVoy around 1900. In Ireland, the Irish Parliamentary Party achieved electoral success in the 1880s and was supported by the British Prime Minister, William Gladstone, who introduced the unsuccessful Government of Ireland Bill in 1886. Gladstone's party then divided over Home Rule, and the IPP also divided for a decade over Parnell's marriage to Mrs. O'Shea who is not referred to by first name. <laughs> don't know if she's relevant or not. It doesn't say... Does there ever say a Mr. O'Shea anywhere? I don't know, but Parnell's certainly not Mr. O'Shea, and that's Mrs. O'Shea true. indicates she's already been married once and still is, so I'm not sure what that's about. Mrs. O'Shea. <laughs> Got married to a Mrs. Messed up. Messed up. In 1891, a moderate offshoot of the Clan Nagale broke away and formed an organization under the name of the Irish National Federation of America with T. Emmett, because I guess first names are just done now, (laughs) uh, as president. The federation supported the National Party in Ireland, a splinter group of Parnell's Home Rule Party. Rising to prominence within the Klan from the 1890s were Daniel Cohalan, later to be a Supreme Court on the New York uh, Supreme Court, Later to be a judge, I should say, on the New York Supreme Court, and also Joseph McGarity. Well, uh, so I've completed the the update here. Okay. The edit. Let's go ahead and refresh it and see if it stood for more than 30 seconds. (laughs) 
<laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> For other clans, see Wu Tang. All right. Ideal. <clears throat> yeah, it looks like uh, this clan Nagale was still kind of active in the 1900s and doing more eventually stuff. Kind of petered out. Yeah. Towards the 90s. Another internal, they not without their controversy though. They they still in 1997 still had another split <laughs> as a result of the IRA shift away from using physical force as a, a result of the 1998 Good Friday Peace Accords. So now there are still some Irish nationalists <laughs> that are like <laughs> probably 90. <laughs> yeah, are like violence is the answer. <laughs> yeah, so. There you have it, from James Kerrigan to Clan Nagale. Stayed pretty Irish. The whole time, whole yeah. Time. This should be our St. Patrick's Day episode. Let's just put this one in the bank. <laughs> sure. uh, yep, so I'd like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and the Boswell Sisters for our outro song. Okay. Uh, thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. I did find an article about uh, that Will W. B. O'Donoghue. You mean the, like outside of Wikipedia? Now. No, it's on Wikipedia. It's William Bernard O'Donoghue. He only has one paragraph to his whole article. Is he the odd character? Um, he was the treasurer of the provisional government established um, after fleeing to the United States with. Uh, Louis Real in 1870. Oh, that sounds like him because he was. He subsequently Reel. broke with him. Um, well, he should be asked to concede, intercede on behalf of the Metis people. Yep, that's him. Had by 1871 formed an association with the Fenian Brotherhood. Um, October 5th led a force of 38, uh, 35 men across the border. Yeah, and then. Um, he was arrested and then released in Minnesota and then after that he was employed as a school teacher and he died of tuberculosis what? in St. Paul, Minnesota <laughs> in 1878 that that was what happened to him? yep, seven years after the raid he died of tuberculosis hmm. So did not see that one coming <laughs> yeah. did not see a guy like that taking up a professional career as a school teacher but could turn over a new leaf, I guess. Yeah. That's fine. It's better than him continuing to try to raid Canada. Yeah. It, it seems like that's a, as bad of an idea as uh, invading this uh, Russia, but right? for different reasons, I yeah. guess. Ge- geographically, though, just as challenging, yeah. Yeah. Still a bad idea. Boy, get the mama. What does that mean?